You're listening to episode 11 of In Film We Trust. I'm Liam. I'm Wayne. A weekly podcast where we discuss, dissect and deep dive all things film from the obscure to the mainstream. And now, on with the show. Ah! Written, directed and starring Vincent Gallo as Billy Brown. Released from prison after a five-year stint for a crime he did not commit. The only problem? Not only do his parents not know he's spent the past five years in prison, they also believe he is married. So in order to visit his parents, he kidnaps a young Layla, played by Christina Ricci, who he forces to play his loving wife. A film that will also deal with issues from Billy's past, such as Scott Wood, an NFL kicker, who he blames on his bad fortune and has concocted an act of revenge. A film that deals with regret, self-loathing and ultimately redemption, Buffalo 66 stands as a pillar of the 90s independent movie scene. He's certainly an interesting figure, Vincent Gallo, isn't he? Painter, motorcycle racer, model, actor, musician, real estate, buys and sells, doesn't he, for profit? He said at one point that he's bought, he owns like $7 million worth of property, and he said he's never lost a dollar on any of them. On the speculative market. Mm, So he's good at that anyway. Do you know what else? What else? Hip-hop dancer. Is he a hip-hop dancer? Prince Vince. In the 80s, he was a hip-hop dancer called Prince Vince. I've heard of the Prince Vince pseudonym. I never came across that. I came across like his films and his painting. And Now, <laughs> watching his films, whether mm-hmm. it's Buffalo or Brown Buddy, do any of them speak to you and say, hip-hop dancer? No, absolutely not at all. <laughs> no, it's more... It's His films are a lot more kind of laid back and chilled, you could say. Like, especially almost, the ones he directs. Almost philosophical. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem like hip-hop at all. And interestingly, did you ever hear of the... the there was an artist in the 80s called Jean-Michel Basquiat? No. He was in a band with him called Grey. Hmm. Kind of this... Well, they... Because Vincent Gallo, he came from this scene. Or he... he sort of came from this scene called No Wave in New York. This is what, you know, Jim Jarmusch came from, Mm -hmm. filmmakers of their ilk. Because even Gallo was in a film called The Way It Is by Eric Mitchell in 1985, who also had Steve Buscemi. Yeah, I think I did see that. I seen screenshots of it, and it's kind of hard to pick him out, because like you say, we're talking young Buscemi, young Gallo. I almost find, I find Gallo hard to identify when he has no facial hair. He looks a lot different in the 80s, doesn't he? He does look He's even almost borderline, like, slim muscular build isn't he? He's not... Boyish. Yeah. But boyish. I don't think he even had... Did he even have long hair at that time? No, it was short. It was... Exactly. Almost was, a crew... Almost a crew cut. Not quite, but almost no, a crew But cut. it was... It was hard to tell it was him. But the thing with... I find with Gallo is... Do you find he's one of those people whose controversies have, in a way, overshadowed his work? I think that's almost intentional as well, isn't it? Could be. Oh. I think he's purposely doing it because... I think Vincent Gallo, more than anything, I don't actually think he sees himself as a film director or an actor. You get these careerists, Mm -hmm. whether it's your Francis Ford Coppola's and that, and or Quentin Tarantino, and all of themselves that they're just a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Gallo, I think he'd be happy doing any pursuit. I don't think it's explicit to filmmaking. Would you describe him as a provocateur? Oh, definitely. We'd, definitely, yeah. Would you not? Yeah, I would. So you're saying he's, you say he's a kind of broad artist. Filmmaking just happens to be one of his avenues of creativity. He did say, and there was an interview, it maybe was on the Howard Stern show, and he said if he could make money any other way, he would never make another film. Mm-hmm. So he just sees it as like a kind of means to an end, really? 
You think that, but his films, he's not making money-making films. No, they're not like big mainstream. It's almost like the Terence Malick thing, because Terence Malick made these kind of big, kind of legendary films, but he never really made lots of money on them because they had... I want to say so little mainstream appeal. They were really difficult to uh, to advertise to a mainstream audience. So none of them ever made that much money. He is an artist, mm. and his persona is of a public provocateur, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think part of that's intentional. There was, you know, how there's obviously with Vincent Gallo, there's almost con- controversy about him being whether it's racist or anti-Semitic or something. And there was an mm. interview once. And somebody said to him, and he says he sees people as individuals. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like groupthink, which I think plays an important part in Vincent Gallo. He's a complete individualist. Individualist, yeah. And because he hates groupthink so much, he uses iconography, for example, from whether it's racism or, you know, unsavory kind of things to poke fun at those things mm. because he sees them so ridiculous because mm. he doesn't identify as a group mm, he so, sees everything purely from an individualist standpoint so it's like he's using his own individual uh, vision to shine a light on these things that he thinks are ridiculous but people have like accused him of being i think so in a way do you i think it, it, he's provoking conversation or in his mind provoking conversation yeah. to kind of break down that barrier where people group themselves into you know i'm white i'm black i'm this i'm this and i identify mm-hmm. with this he's like no you're just a human mm-hmm. but he's like say he sees himself as very much as an individual maybe in that's an intellectualized way of seeing it Wayne. maybe he just likes provoking anger possibly but i think see if you said that to him i think he would agree with you there and i think you could have great discourse with him because from what i've seen in interviews he's a very articulate individual it's not like he starts screaming profanities or whatever he does talk to people in a very level-headed way i've even seen in interviews where he's talking to people who dissed his films. Oh, yeah. And he still does speak some kind of a, you know, I respect your opinion, this is what I was trying to do kind of thing. So I do, I do think he he does give people kind of liberty to say bad things about him, and he will argue in like a kind of very sensible way. As long as you're not Roger Ebert. No, no, <laughs> no, that was, that was unbelievable because The Brown Bunny, possibly his most famous or infamous film, infamous would you Infamous film, Brown yeah. Bunny, which... I don't know what um, side to believe. There, there, there's this opinion, especially by Roger Ebert, that the finish, the, the, sorry, the film at Cannes was horrendous, mm-hmm. uh, but the cut version, because Vincent Gallo states the the version at Cannes Film Festival, it was incomplete. The mm-hmm. the I think it was the producers, maybe the Japanese producers. I can't remember the the national origin. They they insisted on it premiering at Cannes, so Gallo had to rush this and edit through for it to play at Cannes, and there wasn't even an ending filmed on that film. No. So Roger Ebert, when he saw the finished version, not the Cannes version, Roger Ebert gave it, you know how he gave it a thumbs up or thumbs, thumbs down? down yeah. He gave it a thumbs up and said, without the, I think it was 28 minutes, was it? Yeah. Without the 28 minutes, it was a good film. Mm-hmm. But Gallo said, that's bullshit. The mm. version... The finished version, the Khan version, was only eight minute different. Right. So these people are trying to <laughs> insinuate that it was a massively different film at Khan, mm-hmm. where it was literally just an eight minute difference but in it, film. It's hard to know who to trust, isn't it? And it actually led to a vicious war of words where Gallo said some really horrible things about well, he, Ebert. He hexed cancer on Rodney. He Ebert. did, and then Ebert came back. My my favorite Ebert quote is about this: is he said, 
um, I recently had a colonoscopy and I got to watch it on a camera and he said watching that was more interesting than watching the brown bunny. Vincent Gallo actually hated, I can't remind who it was, is it Roper? Did Roger Ebert... Richard Roper. Also, um, Gene Siskel was his original... Yeah, but I think it was Roper called it a a steaming pile of shit. (laughs) And Gallo took more offence with Roper because he said to Ebert, I would rather have the infamy of making the worst film Mm -hmm. rather than somebody saying it's a steaming pile of shit because there's curiosity in the worst film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're saying a steaming pile of shit is a criticism anyone could levy on anything with no actual analytical, critical thought. Yeah, it's an easy target. You say, well, that's shit. Well, what does that mean? What does that... Exactly, but it's not like Gallo's been universally hated as an actor because he won the 2010 Volpe Cup at Venice Film Festival for a film called Essential Killings, which I'd never heard of. Essential Killing. Essential Killing, that's one. And he never, apparently never has a single line of dialogue. He plays like a terrorist who's being pursued. Yeah, an Arab ter- terrorist. During, it, this would be the height, I think it was 2010, wasn't it? It was 2010, yeah. So it was kind of in the height of, you know, the war on terror, and that, which is almost brave in itself to take that role on. It is, yeah. And it, it shows that the man, if you give him, you know, the good director and you give him the right material, he can turn in a good performance. There was a film not long ago, I think it was last year, called Shut In. Yeah, you saw this. I've never seen this. Yeah. And they, we should we should state this was made for a company called The Daily Wire. The Daily, the Is Daily that Ben Shapiro? Ben, ben Shapiro. It's like a, it's a, a conservative... A right-wing conservative It's a conservative company. news outlet. Yeah, it's actually... I didn't like the film overall, mostly because like the heroine in the film is not very bright and it's, it's very right. hard to buy what's going on. But Gallo's in it. He plays, he plays a paedophile, but it's a very stripped-down, very raw performance. He's not in it a lot, but it never feels like he's just playing himself. It feels like he's putting a lot of effort into it. And it was his first film in 10-something years. And did, I'm sure I remember you telling me in private, you actually thought he was the best part of the he film. He was the best part of the film, definitely. So, terrorists, paedophiles, this guy clearly doesn't have a qualm mm. about playing controversial characters, which kind of fits his profile, mm. He's got it? range. Have you been on vincentgallo.com I'd, oh, I'd yes. never been this before what I love about I mean, this you've never been on it before no it says at the top the official website for Vincent Gallo by Vincent Gallo and it's got a lot of the kind of categories you imagine yep. acting credits directorial work writing merchandise music and there was one which said intergalactic sound and pictures do you know what happens when you click on it what's that nothing it says coming soon there's nothing there it's <laughs> such a disappointment <sighs> Have you saw some of the merchandise on that website? Yeah. He's selling like his necklace from his is it first communion by his mother gave him. And yeah. do you think they're so overpriced because he knows nobody's going to buy them? Do you almost think it's like an artistic statement? Probably. Yeah. He even says on his website he pays top dollar for various things like music players, a lot of LPs. I think he's a collector of LPs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Vin- usually vintage uh, music equipment mm-hmm. and LPs, record collection. Because he's he used to have a column in the nineties. I can't remember the publication. A hi-fi mm-hmm. articles he would write. So he's he's very knowledgeable on, on that subject. Also, if you go to his biography, there's a bit right in the bottom. He clearly wrote this, but he wrote this in the third person. It says, Gallo is one of the mis- most misunderstood, misquoted, misrepresented talents in the past 25 years. <laughs> and a brief review of, the, of his IMDb page suggests he has also been incredibly prolific. The IMDb page, 
IMDB page lists 67 acting credits. 67? So it's not like he's uh, slumping or anything. He's had quite a lot of credits. He's been in a lot of films. Well, he was in Arizona Dream by Emir Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. The Funeral by Abel Ferrara. They were two somewhat esteemed films. Because in Arizona Dream, he co-starred with Johnny Depp and Faye Dunaway. Yeah. That would be, I'm trying to think, early to mid 90s. Mm-hmm. And I did, I saw that a long time ago, so I can't really comment on it too much. But that, that was an interesting film. And funnily enough, he made a film in 2010, an actual film he directed called Promises Written in Water. I've heard of that. And it starred Sage Stallone, which is Sly Stallone's son. Sly Stallone's son. Late son, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, Gallo didn't want to show this anywhere, but Sage really wanted this to be shown. So he did show it at the Venice Film Festival, and it did get quite bad reviews and mm-hmm. in typical gallo style he's locked it away the public <laughs> has never seen his film because he says keeping it away from dark energy of the public oh i see what you mean <laughs> do you think he just didn't want is he just didn't want negative opinion because again it seems like he's at the point where he doesn't care because he expects that kind of thing i don't know we'll get this into this when we're talking more about buffalo 66 but he's a very complex very I'm not diagnosing him, of course, but <laughs> a very almost bipolar character. You mm-hmm. think he doesn't care, but if somebody attacks him, just like it actually in Buffalo 66, mm-hmm. he'll bite. You can mm-hmm. see he actually does care. Mm, this things like that actually do come up. Also, his Instagram page, <laughs> we thought this might have been a fan post, but from the way it's written, it sounds like it's written by him. It's only got five posts, and in the description, it lists him as a legend in his own Instagram page. You could... Is it too early to call him a legend? He's a legend of sorts. In a way. He's like an almost underground legend, you could say. Well, like we were saying, the no-wave scene in New York, that was like underground filmmakers, underground music. That's where you had John Lurie coming from the Lounge Lizards and, mm-hmm. as we said, Jim Jarmusch and Nick Zed, all these type of filmmakers. So it, he's coming from a pedigree of the underground. Mm-hmm. And I think, because he's always said himself, he hates the mainstream. Yeah, it, it, that very much comes through in his work and i don't think he's pandering to the mainstream completely i mean when you make a film you have to pander somewhat don't you mm-hmm. well if you're wanting some kind of return on your investment basically but it's like we were saying with the brown bunny and the kind of divisive or really negative reviews by for example roger ebert at Cannes. but at the same time we had john luke goddard we had john waters sean penn and Werner herzog all praise the film with Herzog saying it's the best portrayal of the particular loneliness a man feels. Could you imagine Werner Herzog saying something that complimentary about your film? I'd be over the moon regardless of, regardless of what anybody else and said. I, I love uh, Werner Herzog. He's a great filmmaker. He's a fantastic filmmaker. I love Werner Herzog. Yeah, he's brilliant. And Sean Penn, after seeing The Brown Bunny, told Vincent Gallo, if this film was directed by Chloe Sevigny, it would have been acclaimed as a feminist masterpiece and won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Mm. Oh, but because it's the other way, it was regarded yeah. as exploitation, well, basically. She doesn't see it as exploitation. No, she doesn't. She's def- she's gone out of a way to defend the yeah. film, very much so. Because so, I don't think there's actually anything untoward came out about Vincent Gallo for all his posturing as like, mm-hmm. this crazed guy, apparently. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm a fan of him. You're more undecided. I've got, I've got mixed feelings. It kind of depends what he's in, depends what he's doing. Yeah, when I say fan, I'm really more on about the work. Yeah. I'm not necessarily on about the, the rant and raving. Yeah, it's like more for his professional rather than his personal life. Because say. he didn't take the easy route with Buffalo 66 either. No. I mean, the guy actually insisted on filming on reversal stock. Which is a technique I'd never heard of before, actually. It's a film stock... I'm gathering they they mainly used was it 
old documentary, old film footage, because mm-hmm. apparently you could develop it or show it as almost as soon as you had recorded it, couldn't you? So it's like taking a uh, like a, a Polaroid picture, basically. Along those lines, and it was also used on NFL films, American football. They used to make mm-hmm. their own films based on the season, that yeah. season... And he was a big fan of that aesthetic, and it looks really good. Have you ever saw like '60s, '70s NFL films? Not uh, the games, but like the. Scenes. I think the actual films, yeah. And they look really good. They've got that nice, cool, grainy look to them. It's almost an aesthetic like Buffalo '66. Yeah, and you can see that's a deliberate choice for like why he put it in this film. It results in this kind of like kind of high saturation. I thought it made it look like the characters glowed. The characters were like, had glowing skin when you see them in the film. Especially Christina Ricci, did you not find? Especially because she's dressed in white. And the contrast and her, her blue eyeshadow, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And you, you see the colour pop. I, I love the aesthetic of this film. No, I love the I think it had a great aesthetic. It's the kind of thing you would only get in like independent films because your big films are not yeah. going to do something like this. These smaller films, again, it almost had this, and people had this kind of angelic glow. And cinematography by Lance Accord. Or was it? Well, mm-hmm. he works, or mainly works, with Spike Jones. Spike Jones, yeah. And I do have a quote. He says, Gallo says about Lance Accord, he couldn't survive in the jungle. In a banana tree, he couldn't find a banana. This guy had no ideas, no conceptual ideas, and no aesthetic point of view. Mm-hmm. But he did praise him. He did praise him, yeah, because he actually, I think there was two cinematographers, because Lance was brought in afterwards. Yeah. I don't think he'd ever done a film before. And after the film was finished, Gallo... I think took credit for a lot of the look of the film, which I can I can understand. I him. can see that. I can see him being the one responsible for it. And by me saying he gave Lance credit, I think he it's because he allowed Lance just to be the button pusher and let Gallo have free range of the cinematography. Well, Gallo did literally describe him as a button pusher. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he described him as that literally. Because Lance Accord, I think he done Where the Wild Things Are, did he? Because you're a big fan of that. I think Spike so. Jones. That was a great film. Yeah. It's, that is a beautiful-looking film, While the Wild Things Are. And until we were researching this film, what I didn't know was the first version of this film was wrote, written in 1989. Mm-hmm. That's like what the first draft of the script. Yeah, it, it says almost identical plot, but the main character was trying to win this big part in a movie, and he fucked it up somehow. Mm-hmm. Which, I w- that would change it quite a bit, even it, though it's an identical plot, do you not think? It would change it a lot, yeah. Especially like towards the end of the movie, as it starts to move in these different directions. Yeah, that would have that would have made it completely different. And it was the film was it was nineteen ninety eight when the film came out, and the budget was one and a half million dollars. I've read two million in some places. Yeah, I, I saw one and a half million, and I think it made back another million, didn't it? Yeah, it wasn't a massive success, but it it, it made a profit. Yeah, the thing I like about the budget is if you say you got one point five million, twenty thousand dollars went to Angelica Houston's, uh, Houston's wig. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know. I don't care how much you have to maintain a damn wig. You ain't paying 20000 That That wig did not look like it cost anyone near that much. Well, him and Angelica famously didn't get on at I, all. I think him and everybody didn't uh, famously didn't get well, on. Well, yeah, but... Yeah. Also, I, did, did he get on well with Mickey Rourke? Because I read that he actually... Mickey Rourke was... He paid him in cash, I think. In a bag, because Mickey Rourke bag. was financially struggling at the time, and I think he was just taking any part he could get, and then he just gave him $100,000 in a bag. I don't know about that. Yeah, I read that. I don't know about you, but to me, Mickey Rourke is one of the greatest film stars of the last 40 years. It's fantastic. That's going to sound ridiculous because there's going to be a lot of people who 
especially maybe very young people who are saying, is that the guy from Iron Man? Mm-hmm. Or the guy with, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful, but the, the funny face. But yeah. I, I, I don't think people realise in the 1980s, I mean, Angel Heart, Diner, he was doing such tremendous work. He was actually labelled as the 80s brand or James Dean. He was, but he went he went off to do boxing. He went boxing, yeah. And that's what caused a lot of, because he had to get plastic surgery. So he says, but yeah. how many professional boxers are getting punched a lot more than Mickey Rock's yeah. getting punched? It looked terrible afterwards, but then he had a great comeback with like Sin City and The Wrestler. Yeah, he's a fantastic actor. He's been in some weird films, but I think he's a good actor. He's not given much to do in this No, film. he is a very small part, a pivotal part. It, it yeah. tells a narrative, but yeah, he's Mickey Rock's in a really small part. It's an important camera, you can One say. One scene. Yeah, I read that Gallo didn't get on well with Richie either. He called her I, I don't yeah, re- I he... don't really understand this criticism. He called Richie a puppet who did what she was told. You're the director of the film. Don't you want her to do what you're told? I'm guessing he's referred to the studio or other people on set. And he's also alluded to her having a, a borderline drink problem on set. I didn't read that. I did read that years later he, he had to go to wait on the film. Yeah, which is, that, that's distasteful. That's a real low blow. That's a really dickish thing to do. Apparently this stemmed from what happened after Buffalo was released. Straight after it was released, Christina Ricci had also done a film called The Opposite of Sex. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of more a more mainstream indie type film, if you get my drift. I and see, yeah. he was pissed that she didn't do much promotion for Buffalo 66 and she put all of her baskets into the opposite of sex because it was almost like the Sundance darling. Oh, and he was right. pissed because if she had promoted it, because she had somewhat of a name attached to her, yeah. his film would have done far better. He felt neglected by mm. Christina Ricci. But did she just not have faith in this project or is it because of her treatment or experiences on because she did vow never to work with Gallo again so I wonder if that could have contributed to her not doing promotion for it well, she puts it I, I really like the performance I don't, we'll get to that later and I'm not sure what your opinion of it is but I think she does a really good job mm-hmm. also I've got a book by Stephen Schneider it's called 1001 Films to See Before You Die and this movie is in that book do you have an idea what number it is? Uh, oh, no, oh no it's not ranked it's just oh. it's just oh there's no numbers no it's just like from you know from the invention of film up until this was up until 2014 because this was the have. first time you'd seen it isn't this it? was the first time i'd seen this yeah i've seen brown bunny of course which we've spoken about already where i think i've told you before this buffalo 60 i think buffalo 66 my own private idaho and easy rider they were kind of like for, formative films for me that i caught them i think at the right time like an impressionable age i think like middle teens mm-hmm. and it kind of sensed a, a sense of aesthetic a sense of taste was kind of outside the you know common mainstream sensibilities mm. so, and i really appreciate that because it set me on to other films through the years so when you see those films now it does it takes you back yeah. to that mindset of discovering them for the first time and then appreciating things and you'd never noticed in other yeah, films well, before you, you, it's a film you can attach meaning to. Mm-hmm. And I think when you attach meaning to something, they last that much longer. Especially when it's a, like a personal meaning. Well, yes. So if, the, if the film speaks to you personally, it's always going to mean so much more to you than it would to somebody else. It does. I think that is what it is. And you feel, I always think, when you find something yourself, it's not been driven into you by advertisement, mm-hmm. by you know popular opinion. Mm-hmm. You feel more akin to it. You feel more personally with it. Yeah, like when you've just come across it yourself or when a friend has just yeah. said, hey, maybe you should see this. No, I, I love those films because they're like hidden gems. That's how I came across like Anomalisa, which we've yeah. talked about. I just happened to come across it on a list somewhere. I can't remember what it was, but I'm like, I should check this out. 
enough chiff chaff Wayne let's <laughs> let, let's get into the film let's rock into the story right, yeah. so we open with a young pick uh, Billy uh, Vincent Gallo plays Billy Brown mm-hmm. Billy w- Brown which is nice alliteration mm-hmm. and the Billy obviously plays a part and Brown Brown Bunny Billy Brown mm-hmm. this guy likes Brown I did think about that I would yeah do you think there's meaning in there Wayne What's, no I think you just like that Maybe it's his favourite colour. Who knows? Could be his favourite colour. It would be his favourite colour because he has to be different. Yeah, I've never heard anyone have brown as the favourite colour. But yeah, it opens up with a... It shows a young picture of a boy, mm-hmm. Billy Brown. Mm-hmm. And he's. it has his date of birth, 1966, and he's holding his favourite little pet dog. His dog. B- Bingo. That poor Bingo. <laughs> Bingo, yeah, that didn't work out well for Bingo. And we open on this film as Billy Brown now... An older man, an older man, but what would you say? How old do you think he is in this film? I'd say, I'd say late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, he's getting released from prison, mm-hmm. and he doesn't seem to have anything with him. Did he not take anything to prison with him? Because he yeah, just, comes he just out with, leaves on his own with the clothes on his back. That's all he's got. You'd think you'd be so happy to get out of prison. Mm-hmm. He well, wants in, but he wants back in. Well, he needs the toilet. You he's see. desperate on a pee, which he'll come up several times in this. Which film. is a weird thing to start it. Yeah, he's like, oh, I really need the toilet, and they won't let him back into prison. I did look around. I'm like, there's bound to be somewhere you can go around here. But he has to wait for the damn bus. I'm sure he could have just pissed on the street, could he not? He I put, suppose in front of a prison, you might be like, oh crap, man. Go find a tree or something like that. Yeah, so he he sits on the bench waiting for the bus. And what you find in this film, you get these, they're like boxed flashbacks. They appear as boxes, don't you? And it kind of shows his, his his experience in prison. He's crying in the shower. He's getting his mug shot. Stacks of chairs. Stacks of chairs. And there's a cool, it just follows him overhead there. Mm-hmm. And there's some really cool, interesting shots in this film, did you think? There were some interesting shots. Yeah. I liked how, even though it's an independent film, they managed to get some of these very interesting shots in. I thought that bit kind of looked like a PowerPoint presentation Ooh. showing all these pictures of the film. Is that? Do you mean that in a bad way? Way? Not necessarily a bad do you way. Think but about, are you meaning it looked cheap? Well, in a way, but again, you can't blame it because it's an independent film. Right, but... And it is from the late 90s, so you know, effects aren't as good yet. But once he gets off that bus, Wayne... Mm-hmm. Is it like a strip mall kind of thing? A mall, he goes for the toilet... No, the bus depot, isn't it? He's in the bus depot, yeah, because there's the one because to- he's asking people where the toilets are. The first ones were out of order. Yeah, all the toilets in this film apparently are out of order. Mm-hmm. That's bad day to get released from prison, isn't it? So he heads to this venue that is also doing a ballet class. Mm-hmm. Actually, before that, does he not go to what's it called, Cafe Le Coco? Cafe La Coco, there's a name. Which is because I know uh, Loco is, uh, is that not Spanish for crazy? Loco, well, yeah. yeah, well, Loco, yeah. Trying so, to say something, Wayne? I am trying to say <laughs> something, yeah. But he goes into the, and he gets turned out from there. He looks really annoyed. To be fair, he should, the guy should just have let him in, just to use the toilet. But no, he kicks him out, and then he goes, yeah, he goes to the well, dance Well, he goes behind there. that car, doesn't he? Yeah. And then the woman comes into a car. I think at that point, you get to a point, especially yeah. as a man, you when you're that desperate for a piss, yeah. any back lane's going to do. I did think, can he not just find a back lane or something? Why is he stood right behind this car? There must be like a bin he can go against or we something. We have to drive a story here, Wade. I suppose so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's behind a car, and this woman drives off, so he has to go into the this music studio, like we say. Yeah, this ballet class they're doing. And he gets the toilet, and in typical Gallo fashion, a man wants to watch him pee. Yeah, he almost immediately has a freakout because he goes in. It's a very tight, like very, like, not cubicle, a pair of urinals. Yeah. And he goes to take a piss, and this guy kind of looks over at him, and there's this immediate freakout he has. Yeah, he's he's a man on the edge all the time. All the time, yeah, he just immediately and goes nuts. The guy's... 
he says it's so big or something, doesn't he? Which is a weird thing. I don't think Again, anybody would come out and say. But That's the thing. It's just these weird little things. Like this dude is freaking out and giving you all this shit. And you're like, oh, your dick's very big. And <laughs> um, Billy Vincent does not react to this very well because he let's to be polite in the podcast he calls him a gay slur starting mm-hmm. with an f several re- times repeatedly yes mm-hmm. and and he's saying watch your mouth watch your mouth blah blah, blah. you know I kind of ironically i thought this was this kind of for me established a theme of the film where a lot of times in it i don't know if this is because it's written and directed by vincent gallo of course but there's a lot of moments in the film where he is being a total asshole to people but they are still complimenting him for some reason <laughs> I have no idea. If I was the guy in the toilet, I would not be saying anything nice about you if you were doing this to me. <laughs> I'd be trying to get yeah, out I think you would leave as quick as possible. I'd be trying to run out of there. In the hallway, he meets Layla. Layla, lovely name. Christina Ricci. Well, Vincent Gallo didn't like the name Layla. Or Billy Brown didn't like the name Layla, No, he doesn't at all, no. He wants to borrow some change because he wants to phone home. Mm-hmm. And he make, he concocts this story, doesn't he, to his parents on the phone that he's he's got a wife. Yeah. They're coming in to visit, but he can't bring the wife because she's sick. Because yeah, they don't know he's been in prison. And no, they don't know he's been in prison. They don't know he's basically low life because he's trying to convince them that he's a lot better than he is. And like you say, he's got a wife and he's just he's just creating this shred on the phone. But he's just angry the entire time. He's really ranting at his mum because she's got the TV turned up. Yeah, I don't like his parents in this, do you? Not, we'll get to them, but I don't no, like We'll get to the game. What I thought was kind of shitty of him is that he... He has a massive go at Layla when he walks by. After then, she borrows in money. Then has the audacity to ask for money for those. Like, oh, I hate you, I hate you. Oh, can I borrow a quarter for the phone? <laughs> no, you can't. I've actually came across people like that. Have you? Yes. Oh, the cheek. The absolute the cheek. cheek. The absolute cheek. I, no, I wouldn't give them anything, no. Well, I've, th- I've, I've threw the odd one of 50 pence. Oh, it's not like we're just to get him to go away. Yes. Yeah, there's also, I noticed, a lot of, uh, when he's making the phone call, a lot of face close-ups, which was a common thing in the brown bunny as well. I got very tired of that in brown bunny, just constant close-ups of his face. I like it. I love the aesthetic of this film. I, I can't, we'll, we'll have different opinions, and I know your opinion differs from mine, uh, but one thing you do like about the film is the aesthetic, isn't it? It is. For the it's, most part. For the most I, I want to say it's like it's kind of got a beautiful look about it. It's almost like some colours are washed out, some are very yeah. kind of, um, some are very glowing. Again, because of the reversal stock, people have this idealised, this kind of angelic look about them. Like it's trying to highlight the characters against what's a lot of time kind of a bleak background. Yeah, I couldn't see that. It's almost like pointing the beauty out uh, against the mundanity of that city. Highlighting it, yeah. Because he, in real life, Vincent Gallo, hates the city of Buffalo. Is he? Because that's where he's from. That's where he's from, And yeah. he hates the people from there. You know you know how he goes on his vitriolic rants. How he hates everything. Yes. Yeah. And, well, he kidnaps Layla, doesn't he? Yeah, I actually, in my notes, I've written that in uh, capital letters. He kidnaps Layla. Oh, did he emphasize the kidnap, I, did he? I did, absolutely, because he, he gives her crap about something or other, then he borrows a quarter from her, then he kidnaps her and so, drags her outside. So any non-attentive listener, if you're thinking, well, what, how the hell did it escalate the kidnap? And that's because he told his parents he has a wife. Yes, he needs a wife now. He needs a wife, so he may as well kidnap her. Yeah, kidnap and he takes her out the back and she says at one point, you're hurting me, and he says, shut your mouth or I'll really hurt you. Like, what a charming fellow. <laughs> Do you think Billy would... Looks capable of hurting anybody. I don't think he's actually an actual violent guy, do you? I think he would have a hard time because he didn't have like a weapon, did he? He just put his hand over her mouth and dragged her outside. And he drags her to her own car. To her own car. Not his. Well, of course, he's got a prison. It wouldn't be his car, but he drags her to her own car. car. Now, as someone who lives in the UK and yourself as well, I found this funny. It's a 
manual. It's a stick shift car. No, Wayne. It's mm. a shifter. Oh, sorry, it's a shifter. <laughs> As they say in the film. I'm sorry. And he wants her... Basically, he can't drive that kind of car because he goes in this whole thing. I drive cars that shift themselves. Luxury cars, Wayne. He's luxury, he cars. luxury cars. Now, this is where another issue of mine came up with. No. Someone pointed this out. It was the repetition of the dialogue. Someone said, uh, a critic said this, and I quote, As an actor, Gallo has an irritating habit of repeating 90% of his lines at least once. I figure the movie could be 25% shorter and far less boring if he would say things once and be done with them. What do you think of that line? As Vincent Gallo told one of those critics who did not like this film, he says, if you don't like this film, you're bored with cinema. I'm going to go with that statement. There is nothing boring about this film. (laughs) It's composed well. It's, Mm -hmm. for the most part, written well. It Mm -hmm. has a great character arc. It's dealing with subtlety. And it's dealing with emphasizing. Mm -hmm. not, Not everything is subtle. So, do you did you find there was a re- the repeating dialogue? I found some of it repetitive. It does come up later on. I found some of it. It almost feels like they're trying to. I don't know if he's just trying to inflate the scene or give himself more things to say. But I felt a lot of it was. I guess in a way you could say it seems like this nervous energy because he's brought. Yep. He's just he's out. Up. He's just out of prison. He's kidnapped this woman. He's in her car, and so he's kind of repeating these things. It's bullshit things because clearly he doesn't drive cars that shift themselves because he doesn't have a car. Or if he's ever had a bloody license. Or if he's ever had, yeah, because he said he drives a Cadillac. Uh, yeah, bullshit. Wayne. No, he doesn't have a Cadillac. So, um, but what I find funny about this, he is, even makes her wash clean the damn window of the car. He does. Yeah, this dude. He does. grabs her hand. And they clean yeah, the damn window. He had to do it, but like I said, being from the UK, because he thing has a shifter, he doesn't know how to drive this. Yeah. So he, she has to do the driving. Apparently, Gallo in real life couldn't drive a shifter. Neither could Christina Ricci. Oh. And he gave her shit for not being able to drive a man. It's like, dude, you're angry at her for doing something you can't even do. Well, I think, would he not continually berate her off camera? He would scream at her, apparently. So she gave her, I'm assuming, a more authentic mm-hmm. performance? I don't know... Mm-hmm what the authenticity was looking for. But Would you almost say her performance was kind of downbeat? Because a lot of time it did look, she had that kind of hound, well, that hound dog look about it, but that makes sense in this scene. Yeah. Because of what's happened, just well, happened to her. you're kidnapped. Yeah, she'd just been kidnapped, yeah. By this crazed loon who can't drive a shifter car. By this crazy handsome man who has Cadillacs. Well. <laughs> and then... The they thing, do take off, though. They do, but what I like in this next bit is, I don't know if this was intentional, but they go around the corner and the camera pans over Cafe Loco, uh, yep. Loco, Loco again, and then it freezes, and then there's no music. I'm like, I'm sorry, was Cafe Lococo was that an important part of the scene or something? <laughs> you like that, did you? No, it was like, I was like, oh, was that supposed to happen? I don't know if he was trying to draw attention to it or just yeah. give it, get us talking, but just yeah, it seemed a bit random. Gallo said he, his ideal film is a film without meaning. Oh, okay then. I know, <laughs> which I, I don't know how true that statement is, but you can mull over that, you're... All you want. I have no idea. It's all over the place. But he does make her pull over, because, mm-hmm. of course, he has not peed yet. No, he hasn't. And he goes, it was against a tree. Yep, but before he goes for a pee, he says, don't move or I'll take a bite out of your cheek and shit you out. Mm, that's a creative insult. I'll give him that. Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it takes that much thinking to think that. Probably not, no. I mean, there's still, the dude's still angry. The dude's still full of rage. He does have a lot of relief when he uh, takes that pee, though. Yeah, he's a lot better afterwards. Does he not even almost kind of apologise afterwards? Yeah, but it also does set up, in a, in a, in a sense, the, the, the narrative of this film, because she could have easily 
gone off. There was houses right to the side of where he pulled over. She could have went over screaming, yeah. Yeah. But he does. He does kind of. I can understand from her point of view that he's like, "Don't do this." Don't yeah, this. yeah. Because you've just been kidnapped. I'm guessing this is a new experience to her. So you could think I could run away, but what if that doesn't work and he catches me? But you know, when he's apologising to her, which was a great touch, the camera stays on her. It mm-hmm. never really cuts to him until maybe the very end of the apology, mm-hmm. while it's in yeah, the it, in the car. Because you think you think in a traditional film is like. It's going to keep cutting to him because he's the one mm-hmm. telling the dialogue. Then it's yeah. going to get her reaction and go back to him. Then vice versa. But it stays on her the whole time. So all you're hearing is his voice off camera. I know. I like that though because it's yeah. it's it's based entirely around her reaction. Yeah. I, I've seen scenes in films where it focuses on someone who's not talking, and it's great because you can you can just read on their face what they're thinking in the scene. You don't have to see who's talking because you know who's talking. And he does explain the situation to her about how he needs to take her to his parents. He's not been home in X amount of years. Mm-hmm. And he asks her name, which is... And she says, Layla. He says, no, that's no good. No. And what's the name he gives her? She has to be called Wendy Balsam. Wendy Balsam. Which is a... Which will tie in. It's tie an interest name. It oh, will tie in. Also, that's not the only thing he tells us. says she has to love and adore him. You have to act like you can't live without me. Yeah. That's another one. At one point he says, hold me, don't touch me. That'll come later, yes. <laughs> that sounds like a that sounds like a bizarre song name, actually. Hold, hold me, don't, don't touch hold me. me, don't touch me. Yeah. Who's that by? <laughs> what country artist? Probably, yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's. Do you get the feeling almost that's um, him being kind of an avatar for himself, like wanting people to like him? Do you think Gallo cares that people like him? It almost feels like that's what he's trying to say to the audience. I want you to like me. I want you to adore me for who Finally, I am. Critics or people have commented that this is an autobiographical film. And he actually stated, he said, only the mother and the father characters are. But mm. people feel that I'm probably playing myself in the film. What I'm actually playing is I'm playing my father or what I would have become if I let my father's heavy impact stay in my life. And what I play in the last five minutes of the film, which we'll get to, is me on a really good day. Mm. Just saying that, that makes me kind of, that does make me rethink a lot of the film, actually, if he's playing it from that point of view. Oh, yeah. Um, this is what I'm saying. Uh, and I wonder if during our discussion, you'll come to maybe appreciate it more because what you see as maybe annoying character traits, <laughs> I think you had, there's a reason for them. Mm hmm. Which we'll get to. You don't want to blow. Uh. I, I can, I can see, I can see where you're going with this. I can see yeah. it in a sense. There are probably going to be things that I'm not going because I didn't know that before. Yeah. So there's things you're going to say that's. I might, I might even say something that yeah, you yeah. wouldn't have noticed before. So yeah. Yeah. Everybody has their own take on a film, and just because mm-hmm. a film director says something, it doesn't make it so. That's only so, their interpretation. Considering how much random stuff Vincent Gallo does say. Yeah. So we we can never be sure. But she yeah. also states she's vegetarian. Vegetarian. Again, something that comes up later on. Odd request for a kidnap victim, Wayne. It is a very strange, very, very strange thing. She's just going to start feeding him now. Yeah. There is another line in this. I, I, I got kind of confused at this. Maybe you'll make something different of no. it. He said at one point, you know, he's trying to make sure you need to do this right. My parents need to think I'm good. And then he says, you make me look bad and I'll never, ever talk to you again. Please tell me why that would have been a bad thing at this point. Do you know why? And... This is a narrative of the film yeah. that I've gathered, right? He's almost got a stunted development, Billy. Yeah. He's stuck in his past traumas, and he's got this very childlike um, view of life. So if somebody says something he doesn't like, he'll attack them in a childish way. He'll call them names. Mm-hmm. And 
he's carrying these traumas that he can't deal with. So when he asks people to, like, he asks her to hold him, and then when she comes to hold him, he can't deal with it, so he pulls away from her. He's almost got a stunted development because he's stuck in the trauma of his past. Yeah. And I think some of the silly lines, what you, some may think are badly written, it is because it's written from the mind of somebody who's traumatized in their childhood and they're holding on to childlike beliefs in a sense so the holding is enough the touching is just a yeah step it's too, too far. much uh, i can see i'll see where you're going with that right one. so we do get to the house though the but before house, they yeah. get in the house we hear the parents shouting mm-hmm. the mother's watching an american football game if we say football for english listeners we're referencing american football yeah football yeah which is about what she does most of the time she's in this yeah film, she's actually. a pain i really don't like she's obsessed parents. with i didn't even recognize it was Angelica Angelica Houston. i didn't even recognize it. it's the twenty thousand dollar wig you see oh i know i know we're both in adam's family christina ricci and angelica um, houston yeah that, that's a great film yeah it's, yeah, it's pretty good. I yeah, mean, it's, pretty w, it's yeah. a good family film. It is, yeah. It's a uh, but also, yeah. This is the part we because they sit on the porch, don't they? Mm-hmm. And he's he you can see him. He's physically feeling nauseous at the sight yeah. thought of having to go in. He has this similar pose where he's he's usually sat and he has his yeah, like, he, hands between his legs and he kind of he kind of pulls himself in like he's kind of constricted. Which I'm saying, there's a, a scene later. He almost constricts himself. He bowls over almost in the fetal position all the time because he takes on the. He's almost like he's got this childlike innocence in a way. Mm-hmm. Like you say, it's like again that lack of development is yeah. like he's still yeah. he's still a baby in the womb basically. Because he says, "Will you hold me a sec? And then when she goes to hold him, which I don't know why she would when she's kidnapped, but mm-hmm. then he barks off and says, "Don't touch me." Yeah, I did have a few moments of that. Like, why is she doing this? She's been kidnapped. It's almost like you kind of forget that she's been kidnapped, and then yeah. she, she does a certain thing. Like, is it you're, a kid, you're a kidnapping victim. Is it Stockholm syndrome? What this early on? Yeah, I don't, I don't know how long it takes, so. but what's interesting? She's maybe is, a troubled soul. Yeah, when they get to the parents' front door, and when the parents open the door, there's a very awkward cut, and it goes like straight into the house, and they're sat around the dinner table. Interesting thought, and I, I think I read this off somebody else, so I don't want to steal somebody's idea. Did you ever notice when they're all at the dinner table, it's always a shot of three, yeah. and there's four people. But mm-hmm. it always shows three. And because Billy, he's had this bad relationship, he feels almost the black sheep of the family, it's expressing to the viewer that somebody's always excluded. Mm-hmm. It never shows all four of them together. Yeah. Also, it's a it's a homage to uh, a Japanese filmmaker, uh, Yasu Hiro, uh, Yasuhiro Ozu. Ozu. Tokyo Story, Autumn Afternoon. Yeah, Tokyo who was, Story. Who is also, we should say, on... Layla's number plate, number plate Ozu, Ozu, yeah. yeah, yeah, because like definitely, because if you watch a film like Tokyo Story, it's filmed in that very, it's not much moving cameras, it's like, yep. it's like, right, we'll focus on this person, say a line, this person, say a line, and sat around the dinner table, that very square, even where the camera's placed, it's not high, it's not low, it's almost at that level. Well, especially in Ozu's work, he would shoot things... I'm trying to think. I can't think at the moment, so I don't want to butcher the interpretation. In ja- you know, Japan, they'll sit on the floor yeah. around that little table. I don't know what the table's called. Not sure. But anyway, in English, we just call it a pillow shot because mm-hmm. it's take a very low shot. And yeah, you can sense those, don't you? And yeah. Ozu was extremely attached to the composition, so he'd mm-hmm. barely move the camera. Yeah, because Ozu, with with Tokyo Story, most pretty much all of the scenes were filmed, especially in the house at knee height. Yeah, pillow, like, the pillow shot, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so that's where, which is kind of a nice touch, because I, I did think of that, because these scenes with the dinner table, 
are not shot or composed anything like the rest of the film. It's like you go into this house and it's this totally different world, this totally different reality because it's made completely different. Well, also is like a very humane filmmaker, isn't he? Mm-hmm. He is, yeah. Clearly, he didn't like the Chinese much, but we'll not get yeah. on to that. No, I mean, I'm honestly, when you mention Japanese, I think more like Miyazaki or Kurosawa as well. Yeah. But Ozu is another very, very big name. Also, Tokyo Story was very much about fraught family relations. As is this. So thematically, it also ties in. Gala's got some weird uh, references, not in this film, just in general. His influences is like Ozu. Mm-hmm. Fulci. Lucio, Lucio Fulci, yeah. Yeah, I mean... You're you're dealing with a wide, wide, wide array of influences I here. Think Bava as well, Bava, Bava, Argento, all the Italian kind of giallo masters. So you can say he knows his cinema. Oh yeah, well he did claim that's one of the reasons why he went out with Agi Argento was because it was Dario's daughter. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay, then I'd never heard that story <laughs> if, before. If there's a reason, I don't know. I suppose that, yeah. Honestly, the the parents in this are kind of interesting because you've got Ben Gazzara as the dad and Angelica Houston as the uh, mother. At this point, I thought Ben Gazzara, for me at this moment, moment was the most relatable character because he looks like he cannot stand Billy at all. He looks like he wants nothing to do with him, like he's openly acrimonious with him. You relate to Ben Gazzara in this film. What? At this moment, I did, yeah. Was this before he kind of motorboated later? Yeah, which was apparently was improvised. Improvised, yeah. That, that makes you feel... Because I think she was 17 in this film as well. Her character was 17. No, no. I don't know how old the character was. I mean, the, uh, Christina Ricci herself oh, was. was 17. Oh, God, I never even thought that. Because she was a kid when she did Anne's Family. That was the same decade. Yeah. Oh, that's just horrible. That's skeezy as hell, man. Yeah, so... But Ben Gazzara, man. Uh, John Cassavetti's films. Mm-hmm. Great actor. Yeah. Great pedigree he had. One of the, he's kind of the kind of actor that you'll have seen in a lot of things, you just won't know his name. And Angelica Houston. Mm-hmm. And there's this tension the whole time. There's nothing comfortable in this no, family setup, again, is there? Billy has that kind of like, that's another thing I guess I, I didn't like watching it through the first time is a lot of the time Billy has this look on him like a kind of sullen teenager who's been dragged away to some event he doesn't want to be at because he just like sits there kind of twiddles his fingers looks down a lot of the time. He's a very nervous guy really. Yeah again. Like, He's compensated a lot and we'll figure that out more with the introduction of a character called Goon. But Goon later on yeah. Yeah but yeah because the mother she's not an attentive mother she, she asks him if he wants pop he says I can't drink pop because mm-hmm. my stomach then she offers him Chocolate. chocolate. He says, Mom, I'm allergic to chocolate. She says, No, you're not. Again, he says that over and over again. It's like, I'm allergic to chocolate. I can't eat chocolate. I'm allergic to chocolate. Again, you've got like the repetitive dialogue. Yeah, and then we get the flashback to his face swelling up from the chocolate. (laughs) What did you, this is what I wondered, why the use of boxed flashbacks? Or like when the it kind of comes into the it middle com- of the it comes into the screen. It doesn't cut to a flashback. No, the, the the square appears, and I was trying to think of if there was a, a meaning beyond the aesthetics, and I wondered if it was a metaphor for his boxed away memories from childhood. Could be, or is it because he's trying to make it look like nothing else? Because I can't Maybe. think of many films I would ever have seen that done in that technique. It's very different. It's not something you use because it can look amateurish. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. It kind of looks like if you were making a student film yeah. and you're like, hey, check this out. But years later, you look back and think, that's dated and terrible. But Ben Gazar is a lecherous creep a bit, isn't he? He's really creepy because he's he's kind of all over her. He, has, he wants nothing to do with Billy, but he's all over her. Also, this scene brought up one of my major issues in the film. See what you think of this. The idea is Billy has brought Layla along with him because he wants to make himself yeah. look good when he's at the parents' yeah. house. But 
he spends the whole time at his parents' house just grumpy, sullen, angry, argumentative, acting like an ass. So I don't know what he accomplished bringing her along. Nothing was done. Like Nothing made him look better. He just kind of looked worse, actually. I th- <sighs> and the parents what? aren't even really interested in him. But did he think if he brought home a wife, it would show that he had some modicum of success? Because he had... He had reached a milestone in life, so to speak, you know, the job, the wife. He had had some level of normalcy. Well, he wanted to project this kind of image of success and achievement. Yeah. That's why he brought along. That's why he said we're staying in this fancy hotel, etc. He wants to make himself look good for his parents. Again, he doesn't seem to care much for his parents, so I don't know why he would want to impress them at all. Why he's so concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Is it just to get them off his back or something? Because I think so. Is it because they're just bothering him? I think something? it's because he's so insecure as a person that he, even though he dislikes somebody or doesn't care for them much, he still has to project a level of success. Mm-hmm. There's an insecure, a real deep, yeah. deep-seated insecurity oh, yeah. there. A childhood trauma, that's what I was saying. Mm-hmm. And because he feels so diminished through from his childhood, he constantly needs to project this level of accomplishment yeah because we're talking about nervous energy i don't know about you but in this scene i didn't get a lot of nervous energy from richie i didn't feel like again she's kidnapped and brought here against her will but a lot of times she didn't seem she seems more comfortable there than he is she almost looks like she's doped she does a bit she's always she just kind of floats kind of calmly in the scene she's never she's always nonplussed she's never mm-hmm. phased really she, she does a better job blending in with them than billy yeah does anyway. she looks like she fits in with the family more than he does yeah because oh what about when ben gazara takes her upstairs because he's a singer he, or he was a singer he was a singer yeah and he was he lip syncs to one of his records he, i think he's supposed to be sick singing yeah in the actual film but yeah he is lip syncing and the actual recording was actually Vincent Gallo's dad. Was it actually Gallo's dad? It was his dad, It was yeah. Vince Gallo Sr. Yeah. I actually read that, yeah. Yeah, and Ben Gazzara's lip sync into the... Because what's cool is, ben, when Ben Gazzara lip syncs, you know, we talk about the, the reversal stock and the saturation, yeah, yeah. it turns it up more. It, lets, it becomes like a spotlight, essentially. It looks like a stage light, what's shining on yeah. him, and he's obviously lip syncing. That's a really cool yeah. shot against a red wall. Because he's not just singing, he's performing. He's actually yeah. doing the hands and the movements. And she's watching him and... I mean, Vincent Gallo's dad's got quite a good voice, actually. He does. He's got a hell of a set of pipes. Yep. Fool's Russian, he's singing. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember who sang the original. It's a love ballad, isn't it, that he's singing, basically, yeah. And, well, Ben Gazzara always pretty much just wants to cuddle Leila, doesn't he? Basically, yeah. But does he not get kind of annoyed at this? Because she wants to hear more or something. And he's like... Another song, and she's like... He just shouts at her. Because he's hangry. Hangry, is that is. He wants to go... Because they have... Is it tripe they're having? And bi- oh, well, Billy makes her have tripe. Oh, you love tripe. Because she says she's vegetarian. That was awful. He's like, oh, go and have some of this. Oh, I, oh, I thought that was horrible. Have you had tripe before? I've never had tripe, no. I don't plan on it either. No. I, I just know tripe as a derogative term. What is tripe? I uh, actually still don't know It's, I think, uh, intestines or innards, animal innards. Yeah, I think I'll uh, skip that one. I think most meat is animal innards, but it must be a specific kind of thing. But, but yeah. yeah, she wants to see a picture of Billy when they get back to the table, Layla. Mm-hmm. And they think they have one a single picture a single photo of him yeah it takes a while to find that photo it does it's... she's got more photos with oj simpson and other american football players yeah that is a good moment though because it does so how little regard they have from the fact that they can't even find because most parents have childhood photos everywhere yeah this they can't even find when they have to go through like, drawers and cupboards just to even find one they find a single one mm-hmm. is that the shot from the start of the film 
the title card. The I think so. With, yeah. bing, with Bingo, because that's when we find out that the dad killed bloody Bingo. He did, I because he did was he in, strangle it. He was in the garden. Snap its neck, or because Gazara comes out, he's like shouting at him. He's like, I've got a damn dog or something. When he's a kid, yeah. When he's a child, yeah. And there's that weird scene where the when the kid just kind of screams to the camera. Mm-hmm. It almost seems comedic. It is weird. There, are, there is a bit later on in the film, I think you know what I'm talking about, which is kind of comedic in that strange way as well. You probably know what I'm on about. So we get another flashback scene, Wayne. Mm-hmm. And this flashback scene... Oh, no, actually, what was an awkward moment at the dinner table? The with kni- the knife pointing? The knife argument? Cause the it was kni- just a knife lying on the table. Again, I'm like, why is this even happening? Because the knife is pointing towards Gazara. I mean, it's surely it's not a sharp steak knife. Is it not just like a regular knife? Yeah, it's just a butter knife type thing. But no, you don't, but he freaks out because... That's what's funny. Gazara spends a lot of time pulled away from the table looking really irritated and then he just loses it over a knife pointing towards him for whatever reason. I don't know. I, that's a, He's just an aggressive man, Ben Gazara. He is in this, yeah. Very trivial matter. I think it's trying to show you his brutality. I'm, I'm assuming yeah. it's it's kind of hinting at when Billy was a child. I guess, you, I guess you are saying, you think Billy's bad. Look at his dad. Yeah, that, now will ex- you, that will explain why. Now you know why. That gives you the reason why, yeah. But she goes into the spiel about him working for the CIA and that. She sp- she spins this story. I don't know about you. If I heard someone telling that story, I'd immediately call bullshit on it because that story is ridiculous. Bullshit. It's absolutely nonsense, that story. But what's weird is Billy says to Wendy, Wendy, tell the story of how we met. And then he gets annoyed at her afterwards for, for making all this stuff up. I'm like, well... Why did you ask her to tell the story? Because she had no reference. She had no idea where to go with and, this. And she was just a lowly secretary, was she? Yeah, she's in, very in story. Yeah. She's very kind of like a lost soul in this story, isn't she? She is very a lost soul. I think that's why she's gone with him so easy. Maybe like she's got no attachments. Yeah, in there she just kind of goes on because it does make you wonder what what's happened in her backstory, where she's just just gone with him. So why is, why is she so willing to go along with this charade? And there's no there's not really a shred of panic in her. Unless this is just a gallo fantasy. No, but like you said, there was a flashback where it turns out Billy bet, was it $10,000? 10000 on Buffalo to win. On Buffalo to win the Super Bowl, yeah. First of all, that's a ridiculous amount of money because they weren't even like favourites or anything yeah. to win. Second of all, it turns out Billy didn't even have that kind of money. So immediately that's a dumbass move. And the mafioso kind of, the lone shark, that's Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke, yeah. I wouldn't like to get on the wrong side of Mickey Rourke. No, no, he's... In he's, cinema or in real life. He does exude this dangerousness, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's, he's not a guy you want to mess with. No, he's especially not. Especially not in this. And this is where it sets up that Buffalo lost because their kicker, Scott Woods, missed the field goal. Yeah. Did he miss the field goal or did he throw the game? Because I'm sure it comes up that they're convinced he threw the game or something. Because this has always annoyed me yeah. when someone will bet on a boxing match and the person loses. Like, I put money on you. That was your choice. Fair enough if they threw the fight. But this is like he just happened to miss the goal. We won't know, but I'm go- we'll, we'll go with missed at the moment. Yeah. At the moment, at the least. And because Gallo's bet, or Billy's bet, this 10,000, he can't pay it back, obviously. No. So Mickey Rourke's character... In order to for Billy to repay his debt, he's going to take the fall for a guilty man. Yeah. Five years in prison. What was funny of this, and I had to watch this back again because I, I made a mistake on this. Mickey Rock says, you know, you'll take a fall. You know, this man has been accused of a crime. He's innocent, of course. Which the first time I took that literally, so I thought, why is he taking the fall for an innocent man? Like, yeah. oh, right. I'm like, oh, he's being sarcastic, right? I didn't pick up on that first time round. He was innocent. No, no, he he's, actually was. He's like, oh, he was innocent. So yeah, he takes the he takes the fall for this, and oh. and he goes to without parole as know, well. Five years without parole. Oh. Yeah, we never actually know what the crime is, do we? It's just a five year crime. 
Yeah, we no, no, he's just taken the fall. It never actually states what the crime itself was, but... That's irrelevant, it's the time that's yeah, important. Yeah, it's the time, it's the time missed, it's... And then Goon were introduced to... Kevin, Bill, Kevin Corrigan. Kevin Corrigan, who took... It was, he took a bit of... He took umbrage at the film. Uh, umbrage at the characterization because even before the film, he pulled out of playing the character. Somebody else was chosen in his place and then he decided again he would actually play the character. Mm-hmm. And then after the film, once again, Kevin Corrigan, what his name off the credits? Yeah, he went uncredited in the film. I can kind of understand why because he's very much a whipping boy. But but, but now Kevin Corrigan does Q&As on Buffalo 66 on stage to audiences. Yeah, so he's still in a way kind of profiting yes. off it. In the long term, it's worked in the long term. Then yeah, because he's because Billy's talking to him on the phone, and Billy's horrible to this guy. He's calling him Goon for a start, Goon. which it's established is not his real name. Because no. Goon wants to be called Rocky instead. Rocky, <laughs> he's just can you call me Rocky? Do you and that's after the film? I think so. Yeah, the underdog winner probably is after the film. Yeah, and he's he's just horrible to him on the phone. He says at one point a horrible thing to say, but he says you're retarded and you're ugly. You're an ugly retard. I'm like. Okay, then. <laughs> this is what I was saying to you before. All his insults are something like kids would say. Yeah, they like are. It, when they're being an arsehole. Yeah. He's very childlike. That's the kind of thing you'd see in a YouTube comment section yeah. somewhere. You ugly retard. Just, just a troll on the internet, yes. yeah. And he says he's going to kill... He's going to kill the... Kill Scott Wood. Scott Wood, which I think was supposed to be somebody else, but they couldn't get permission to use his name, so they used the name Scott Wood instead. I think it was Scott Northwood. Something like that. And I think they couldn't... Here's another one. The real team is Buffalo Bills. Yeah. But they couldn't get the rights from the NFL to say Buffalo Bills, so they're either referred to as Buffalo or Mm -hmm. Bills. Yeah, hence hence Billy Brown, hence where Billy got his name. Because Billy's obviously... Mother's a fanatical Buffalo... You can Bill's see you can, see you can see that because during this scene, uh, she's trying to watch the game while they're talking, and she turns the volume up and drowns out what the trying yes, to say. She's think. not interested. She just wants to watch the football, doesn't she? She does. That even comes up in the yeah, next. Yeah, his, time pl- his plans. He tells Goon his plans to kill Scott Wood, mm-hmm. uh, and then kill himself because mm-hmm. this will be a drive and theme throughout the film. This this fulfillment. He wants to kill Scott Wood and kill himself. Mm-hmm. It's almost like fulfilling like some kind of. Destiny, or and something. he also finds out now from Goon that Scott Woods—is it Scott Wood or Woods? Scott Wood. Scott Wood now. Um, he owns a strip club in Buffalo. The what? cheek of him. He misses the goal, and now he's got a strip club now he's in got Buffalo. Like you do, yeah. And it's at this point also we find out. I, I don't know why. Did she just get carried away? She get caught in the lie. Layla tells the parents that she's pregnant when Billy's on the phone upstairs, and of course she says to her, she says to the parents, "Don't tell Billy yet." So what's the first thing they say to Billy? Yeah. You're having a baby. Do you think that was her way, because Billy wasn't there, and her telling the parents not to tell him was almost her way of getting back at him for kidnapping him? Yeah, it kind of could be, actually. And now she's thinking, oh, well, I'll get you now. But I was in two minds. Was it that, or was it, again, was she just caught up in the lie and she's just exaggerating more? But it cuts then, which is weird, because I thought we'd see the parents' reaction. That would have been... Well, it says, oh, Billy, you're having a baby. Then Mm -hmm. it cuts to them leaving. It just immediately cuts to them leaving, Which has got a weird composition to that film, uh, to shot when they're leaving. Almost like they're going to come towards you, but they enter. Mm -hmm. They leave on the left. It almost makes it seem like that revelation is what got them kicked out. Uh-huh. <laughs> they get back into the car and they drive some more. I don't know about you. I was annoyed about this. The fact that Ooh. they're driving all over town. They're wasting her fuel. They're using her car to drive all over town doing whatever he wants to do. Never mind the kidnapping, Wayne. No. It's the fuel wasting. Especially wasting. now. Especially now. Yes. Yeah, well, also. especially now. There's another line. They're talking in the car. Layla says to him, uh, if you were my son, I'd be really proud of you. 
Well, she really? says, it's good, it's good if they like me, they'll be proud of you. Yeah, okay. Then. Well, okay. Because he's saying, my dad's an intelligent man. He's not going to believe I work for the CIA, etc. Mm-hmm. Your dad's an angry man. Well, we, established, we established that. He's a douchebag. We established that. Now we know where Billy gets it. Yeah, we do. And they go to a bowling alley bowling next. Bowling alley. So we're going to turn to the big Lebowski now. And now there's a man called Sonny. Mm-hmm. John Michael Vincent. He, 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 he was big in the eighties. He works there, doesn't he? Yeah, he's. Does it, would you say he runs or he's just the counter? I think guy? he's the counter guy. I did notice this seems to be the only person who Billy is nice to the entire time. I don't think there's ever an insult or anything nasty said towards this guy. Because uh, Sonny's kept uh, Billy's bowling ball this whole five years, mm-hmm. kept his locker, and paid his membership the whole five years. That's very nice of him. Again, he, so again, he must have goodwill with somebody. And Layla says, I'm his wife. And he's like, she's not. I picked her up hitchhiking. <laughs> well, I guess at this point, there was no reason to keep the light. It did make me think he's used Layla for the purpose that he picked her up for. And now he's going to disuse her. Kind I, of I was just thinking, how is she? why is she still hanging around? I thought she would have left, but is she still worried about what he would do if she tried to or run Or why off? is he not said, all right, we've been to the parents, you can go now. It's good about that. It's like he's almost gotten used to her company now. Yeah, and do you know what lane they get? Mm. Which I thought was apropos His favourite lane, what was it again? 13. All in 13. Unlucky 13. Lucky 13, yeah. Oh, well, uh, do you say lucky? What? No. No. Uh, no, I thought, because some people do go lucky 13. Definitely I not. I wondered no. if you were a... But, uh, no, not one of them. Glass but, half full kind of guy. But uh, he does. He he actually bowls himself, and he's good at bowling. Clearly. And there's a young. There's a picture hanging up of him with a trophy mm-hmm. from about ten years old. That's a real photo of him. I don't think it is. The kid, I don't think is him. Maybe not. But no, I don't think so. It turns out he's actually very, very good at bowling. And Layla does like a kind of impromptu pole dance. Oh, before that though, in the oh. locker, oh, sorry, we yeah. see a girl, a woman, a girl, mm. woman, woman. Yeah. And we also see his a newspaper clipping from him as a kid in the new- local newspaper about his bowling trophy. Mm-hmm. And the woman in the locker, we'll find out later who yeah, she we, is. We bump into her later on, yeah. She may also be called Wendy. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And it may even be Wendy Bolson. Could be Wendy Bolson, It could yeah. be. Uh, but, yeah, like I say, Layla does this kind of impromptu pole dance, which apparently Ricci choreographed herself. Choreographed herself to the song Moonchild. Mm-hmm. And again, it's the same thing as with Ben Gazzara earlier. It's it kind of turns up the saturation, and then everything's glowing because she's against this kind of shiny it's pole. A, it's a little tap dance. From yeah, it's the just pole. like a, a random little tap dance, which, which is a great scene. I thought that was a. Did you like it? It was a nice little way to. I, I really liked it. Could kind of break up what was going on. It was a kind of lighter moment. And something I don't know if many people picked up on. I I actually didn't until I was researching. Vincent Gallo sees this film as a musical. <laughs> Does he? That, yep, he sees it as a music. It, it is. Um, composed as a musical it is paced as a musical it's even got musical numbers that were supposed to act as a musical he did do the music for this film didn't he orchestrated the music gallo did well actually that's what we should have said from the start when it shows the picture of the young billy he's got his song called lonely boy and the lyric says all my life i've been this lonely boy mm. which is obviously the thematically on point to this film mm, yeah but yeah, you would never think that you'd say, is this a musical, is it? No, it's because it has the odd song here and there, not sort of musical. But there is a scene later, and I'll point it out later, where you can kind of see the musical influence. Yeah. But did you see when they're changing into their bowling um, bowling shoes, bowling yeah. gear, it was almost set up like a traditional sex scene, the unzipping. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of like a, almost like a fetishistic look at it, like they're like with the zipping of the boots and the... Because that's his... his exp- in a weird way, that's as explicit as this film gets because it's a very chaste film. Billy's a very chaste man. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't yeah, like even 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 in scenes where he's undressed, you see nothing because again he's very tight and restricted. Um, 
She doesn't get bowling shoes, does she? I don't think so. No, I don't think she ever gets bowling shoes. Because she bowls with high heels on. Yeah. But she does bowl at one point because he's annoyed because he, he gutters it. And, and then she gets a... She bowls like, beginner's luck. She, she gets a strike. She she gets a strike, yeah. And is that the bit where we have the photo booth bit? Spanning time. This bit the was... famous scene. Yeah, this bit, this bit was... I found this bit kind of weird because again it's the kind of the like with his character of him being just kind of angry and kind of douchey all the time at one point they go through a bunch of poses and he doesn't like any of them and he starts telling her what he wants to like why didn't you tell her beforehand because clearly she doesn't know because she's she's almost overly affectionate to him she's lovely in this scene Uh, and he says no touching just look like you like me two Mm -hmm. people spanning time which is interesting because those photos that they took I don't know about you but if I seen that photo of two people I'd assume they were put there at gunpoint because he looks like a deer in headlights yeah he's he's, he just looks he's like staring blankly front on did you notice though he they changed the background because each picture is supposed to be a different time in the relationship yeah there's nobody who's going to see these pictures think, why have they always got the same clothes Same on? clothes. That's the first thing I would have thought. I thought you got the same clothes on each time. But it's also, did this not serve as the, the poster of the DVD cover? Yeah, it did. The DVD yeah. cover. DVD I, cover, I think yeah. the poster as well. But before they got into the photo booth, he also phoned the operator and got the club address for Scott Woods strip, strip Club. And he also takes a small pistol from his locker. He does, like this tiny little it's thing. Like, it's it, minute, isn't it? It looks like one of those things that would only have like a couple of shots, like two or three or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like it wouldn't even chip a bit of bone. No, probably, probably <laughs> not. Because no. when they get outside, he says to her, don't forget to send the pictures to my parents, one every Christmas. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, oh shit, we forget. He's planned to kill himself. Mm-hmm. So these pictures are for her to keep sending each Christmas, and his parents are obviously not going to know he's dead. Again, that, that does tie into his little, this little thing that comes in it, which almost seems to contradict that. But yeah, he says, again, I would have looked at this picture and thought, if I put the photos next to each other, I thought, wow, they've got the same clothes on in every single picture. What's going on here? I thought they were taken in different locations. So he phones the club. Mm-hmm. Scott doesn't come in until after 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. After, which is an odd schedule. That's a that's a late um, yeah. that's late going. It is something interesting I noticed about when I think it's when they're walking around this time at night. Did you notice this? Whenever there's two of them in the same frame, it's pretty much always the case he's in focus and she isn't. She's always a bit blur. He's always kind of in sharp focus. I didn't notice that. That's it's almost like he's just kind of highlighting. I guess because maybe he's the one talking, but it's like he's highlighted himself in this scene. She's or, still there, but she's more periphery. Or he's that self-obsessed, all he sees is himself. Mm, yeah, that's what I was thinking at this point. I said it makes it makes total sense. And he says to her after the, he phones, the club gets the address. Scott clearly doesn't work until two a.m. <laughs> um, he I'm says, pretty we, sure. I'm pretty sure he doesn't work. He just owns. No, the he place. just he goes just, there for the topless. No, he just owns the place. He, he says to Layla, "We can go somewhere, lay down together." Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, in his split personality, as soon as he says is that, I was only joking when I said lay down together. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, that's too bad. I was serious when I said I wanted to. Mm-hmm. She's more interested than him. She is a lot more interested. She must see something there. She must see something in him that he doesn't even see in himself. Because we've got the dramatic setup. He's a kidnapper, I suppose. Mm-hmm. His, he wasn't the most friendly to his parents, but there's a sensitivity there, isn't there? There are things that do creep through now and then. I find it a lot of it hard to buy because he has been a lot of time just kind of a total asshole. But there are there are moments when it kind of comes through. I wonder if it's just the way that Gallo portrays it, because he almost has that kind of that very sullen aggressiveness a lot of the time. No, I think it's like we said with the trauma. I think it's it's the wounded cat that when they they feel so 
put upon the claw back. Mm-hmm. He's got that kind of that rabid self protection. Mm, so you think he's you were looking at that kind of yeah, like that's a wound, like a wounded animal kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, and they're they're almost clawing back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, like the saying, "Hurt people, hurt people." I can see that, yeah, but it's interesting how we can both look yeah. at the same character, but we can have these very yeah. kind of different interpretations of it. Yeah. But we get to Denny's. Denny's? Which I like, is a, I like Denny's. Denny's you, is nice. Have you been to Denny's? I've been to Denny's. Denny's is nice. Where did you go to Denny's? Uh, in Orlando. Ooh. Denny's is lovely. What's it like? Is it a burger place? or? Uh, no, it's like a, just a regular, just kind of, just like a regular food joint. It's like a calf. Yeah, basically, yeah, like a cafe, yeah. It was lovely. I really enjoyed it. Oh, nice. <laughs> I recommend... Well, what did you get there, Wade? I can't remember. I do recommend the orange juice. It's was, really good. Was it big portions they have in America? It was fairly big portions. I assume so, yeah. I think we were out there for breakfast, and let's get a big breakfast. But do you know who sits next to them in Danny's? Well, I believe it's a lady called Wendy Balsam. Which is funny, because now we have two Wendy Balsams. We Balsam's have two Wendy way. Balsams, played by Rosanna Arquette. And she is the most obnoxious Yeah, she's bloody irritating. Woman. Just general kind of person that would sit next to you and talk to you and you want nothing Even to do with... Even her fiancé looks a dick. Yeah. That smug, yuppie-looking... Like, oh, yeah, yeah, her, you, I've seen you before, kind of thing. And he's mortified, because this woman, Rosanna Arquette, is the woman he had in his locker room in the mm. bowling alley. It's a, it's the one he's named Layla It's the after. name he's given Layla, yeah. And she barely recognises him. She said, "Did we not go? To, were we not in the third grade together? Mm-hmm. And he does acknowledge her. He says, yeah, we were. Because uh, Layla recognises her as well from the locker. Mm-hmm. That's and awkward, right? It's like a kind of a standoff scene, because he's got... Layla across from her, then he's got Wendy over this side, and he's fielding questions kind of from all over. And again, it looks like he's just withdrawing into himself again. But even good old Layla, she says, she's creepy and you're so nice. Mm-hmm. And then he goes off her, I don't want your pity. Mm-hmm. And then he mutters about killing Woods, because mm-hmm. this is his mission now. Yeah. And then he says, I could have had any girl I wanted in school. There was no one I liked. Girls stink and they're evil. Mm -hmm. Which plays into the point. It's like that. that's a a very childlike comment. It is very good. This is the point I'm making. You you stink, you're smelly. Girls have cooties kind of thing. And he says they're all backstabbers. And then he says, like you. Yeah. See, when he when he's put upon, he tries to hurt people around he him. He lashes out yes. a lot. He lashes out even at people who are supposed to be close to him at this point. He's like a, a character who feels almost like people are obsessing over him. Do you think he feels kind of suffocated by people? I don't think he feels suffocated from people. I think he's... From his trauma, he's failed so much in life now that he just slashes out at people. So he's failed to make, he's failed to be able to establish these connections. Yeah, it's he, like he, he doesn't know how to do it. He's stuck in the past and... All his traumas coexisted at one point that it it's kind of affected all personal relationships yeah, and his yeah. interactions with people. Mm, yeah, it's definitely stunted his emotional development. Because the real Wendy Balsam also says she would have, she always saw him outside her window mm-hmm. because he was creeping about. He was just stood there, not with a boombox. He was just stood there creeping outside the window. Which is a weird fact about Gallo. Did you know in real life Vincent Gallo was a teenager was arrested for being a sex offender. Was he? Uncharged? Yes. Oh, Jesus Christ. He never went to prison. I think he was only 13. What's, but oh. he would flash people in their windows. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> that, put, that puts a whole new spin yeah, on this, that, doesn't that, it? That, 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 that changes that part. That adds, a, adds an extra creepy layer but to anyway, this. But anyway, when he calls her a backstabber, Layla, he, he runs off. Which is a great shot to that petrol station. I love the shot when he's running across it, the street to the petrol station. Is it towards or away from the camera? Away from. Away from the camera, yeah. And do you know why he's going to the petrol station? What? Because he needs a whiz again. Again? He do you think to... it's a nervous thing? What? I think he he's just... when he's nervous. I think he's just got a tiny bladder. 
Or he's nervous. <laughs> he was maybe nervous to leave prison because he's you know he's going to meet his parents again. He's nervous here when he's rejected by Wendy Balson and mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Maybe he just got. Maybe he's a nervous peer. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Has he even drunk anything at Denny's? Because she once says a hot chocolate. And he got water. He got water. He always gets water. Apparently. Yeah, I must have think. Well, the that's real, the problem. It's just gone right through. Well, the, the real Gallo is teetotal, isn't he? he? Doesn't drink alcohol or anything. Is he not? Is that like another radical? No alcohol, no drugs, mm, straight edge. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, I think so. Interesting, huh? You uh, would think. <laughs> you would think, no, but I guess maybe that's like another facet of his kind of extreme personality. Or what do they say sometimes about people who ex- exert such uh, teetotalness? It's because they're, they're control freaks. They need to be. In- control of themselves at all times they can't yeah. let themselves go so drinking drugs that will, lo- that will lower their inhibitions yeah, and no. take them out of control that makes sense but because he goes is it a gas station he goes to yeah, pet- pe- to use the toilet petrol station when we're in, yeah, it. Pet- we're in the UK don't I'm sorry. don't start culture wars sorry here Wayne I'm sorry I'm still thinking of the shifter, yeah, shifter. but uh, they went to there and he can't use the toilet so he has to go back to back the- to Denny's I remember thinking oh god he's going to have to go back in and she's got her hot chocolate and he's crying in the bathroom yeah which is a tender moment he does, have a, he does have a cry in the bathroom no, he does cry now then, does it he? And he apologises to Layla. Mm-hmm. How sincere do you feel his apologies are? Some of them feel a bit. Some of them feel like they're done out of obligation. Like if, uh, if I have a pol, you know, I need to get my. What do you think he's so. trying to get them on his side? In sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, like okay, I don't know. Okay, if I say sorry, then I can. I can yeah, move on. You over again. I can move on with what I want to yeah, do. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's. There's multiple facets here because you don't literally know if because he's got this such of a split personality if if the horrible part of him is the horrible part of him and the good side is the good side and or if he's just trying to manipulate people. But he doesn't need to do not lots to win a win. Oh, Lila she's over, easy to win because Lila is so complimentary towards him. Not all the stuff he does, she's still so complimentary towards him. And they go to the motel. Mm-hmm. This. Not nice look, nicest looking place, kind of like just off the road, isn't it? Yeah, you get a lot of them. In the UK, you'd probably say, what, a Premier Inn? Mm. But well, even Scabier. Scabier than the Yeah, yeah, yeah Scabier than Premier Inn. But yeah. obviously with the UK being so small, it's not like we have loads of tr- motels. Big and- chains, no, like motels, no. But yeah, it's just like a kind of regular motel run that he goes to, isn't it? Which is... Because they, they sit on the edge of the bed and she says, you never really went out with Wendy Balson, did you? Mm-hmm. And he says, I told you I did. And then he goes into this spiel, doesn't he, about he hated school so much, he had to be dragged, kicking and screaming, <laughs> and thinking of her would pass the time in school and in church. And But but the real Wendy Balson would make fun of him for staring. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're going to stand and stare oh, yeah. through someone's window, then yeah, I can understand, yeah. What do you think about the bathtub scene? That's a strange scene. Because, again, yeah, because... Because he, he wants a bath. Because he wants a bath. She wants a bath as well. He runs the tub, but she... He won't even let her look at him no. when he's in the tub. And even when he's in there, he's all, again, curled he's, up. he's all like curled up. And because she says to him, you look like a little boy. And he says, you're not supposed to look. And she says, I'm not looking, I'm just imagining. Imagining, yeah. <laughs> really? It's like, she's just, it's like, this is a picture in her head from what she knows about him already. But when she gets in the tub, it cuts to a seat, it cuts it when she's into the tub and... He's got a vest on, though. Yeah. Because he needs like to be, a, like, covered up, Like a vest he? up, yeah. Like, he won't expose anything of him to her. But here's the other scene. When they're out of the bathtub, mm-hmm. That's there's a scene, and he's just lying on the edge of the bed. Mm-hmm. You know, he can barely lie beside her. Yeah. He's, like, edged off. And there's a jazz, so, a jazz score comes on in the background. Mm-hmm. And their movements are synchronized to the jazz. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the musical aspect, Wayne. 
I suppose so. I suppose you throw a song in now and then you can call it a musical, yeah. And she puts her arm out for, hand out for him. Mm-hmm. Is that when it's like a very kind of brief, kind yeah, finger touching thing? Yeah. And then he like almost does he curl up into the fetal position beside he her? He is lying in the even. I think when it gets to the point where they're kind of together, he is kind of fetal up against. His, he's not like lying up against her chest. He's always like a little child, isn't he? He is. Yeah, he's not making like any. They don't even look at each other. He just. Constantly curled down, yeah. Do you think at this point he's attracted to Layla or he's fixated on her in like a motherly role? I think so. Almost like a kind of surrogate mother position. Because it's almost like the little boy in the bath. She's sitting on the bath. He curls up into her on the bed. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a little boy, isn't it? Yeah, it seems more like... Like, he's the, like he needs to be nurtured. It seems more like he wants to express himself, but he's just emotionally incapable of doing so. Yeah. And that's why he's... That's why he's going about it this way. Yeah, very peculiar man, Wayne. He's a very peculiar man, yeah. But they fall asleep. Mm-hmm. He wakes up. She stays asleep. He tucks the gun. Mm-hmm. She wakes up. She's, he says he's going for coffee. Mm-hmm. And then she says, I just get this feeling you're not coming back. Coming back. And then obviously he says he is. And then she says, can I get a kiss goodbye? <laughs> and then the weirdest thing he replies is, don't start trouble. Don't start evil. I didn't say I'd give you a kiss. I said I'd get you a hot chocolate. Chocolate, yeah. <laughs> Which is a pretty good line. Again, he just keeps coming back, but does she not make him like, promise that he's going to come he back? He promises, and she hugs him. Mm-hmm. And then in one of his most more genuine parts of affection, after a couple seconds of her hugging into him, he kind of hugs into her, doesn't he? Yeah. He's like, he's letting his defences down. And she calls him the sweetest and most handsome man in the world. Of course he is. <laughs> I think she's the easiest kidnap victim in she, cinema. Definitely, definitely. Like kidnappers out there, that's that's the kind of person you want because they're very. She's incredibly compliant and she's very complimentary. Don't give them any ideas, Wayne. No, no, I shouldn't really. But, uh, but she and she says as he's leaving the door and he doesn't answer, he's closing the door. She says, "I love you." Mm-hmm. Well. As we said, easiest kidnap victim of all time. I suppose she's fallen in love with him already. It's only been a couple of hours. I know. Was it been like half of the day? It had been some of, some of the day anyway. Assuming what time he got let out of prison. So yeah, but yeah, she says I love him, and then she goes out, and he's got like I say he's got the gun tucked in with him, and he phones he phones goon, he phones goon again. Oh, trying to be because he tries to offer is he offer goon him his locker? He says I'm sorry for yelling at you before, and then he goes on in his spiel. Oh, he's not nice to him, mm-hmm. and then he says you can have my good luck pen, have all the things from his lock bowl and locker. Oh, good luck pen, fantastic! What, uh, what, what I've always wanted. What do you think of the characterization of goon? Because he's filmed always in an unflattering manner. Yeah. He's always like his guts hanging over his little tidy whities tidy whities there is a scene yeah where he's talking on the phone and that's it you just see the pants and then you just see this gut hung up thought that's very unflattering is it to make Gallo is it to make the lead character look better by comparison do you think or do you think you're supposed to look at Goon as he's to put it in a maybe not a nice way like a simple guy he is he's, yeah. he's the simple guy but he's the more kind of nurturing one and Gallo here you go he's kind of strutting about and that and Goon's actually more of a flattering character than Billy for most of the film. Well, in personality-wise, because, yeah, Goon is portrayed as being, like, a very slow character. It takes him a long time to catch on. Yeah. Even when, because, like, you hear when um, when Billy's verbally abusing him, he's just got that kind of slapped, like, this kind of dog slap-down look. But he's never nasty, Goon, so... No, he's never nasty, Buck. Like, the be- the worst he can say is, like, you know, oh, I don't want you talking to me like this, or I don't want you calling me yeah. this. So he offers very little 
in return. But in terms of like personality-wise, yeah, he seems like a much more likable character, I would say. Because we should say Goon is never Goon is only ever shown when he's on the phone to Billy, yeah. and it's always in his little scabby-looking bedroom, isn't it? The only other time we see him is when Billy's putting that ten thousand dollar bet yeah. on, and he's kind of lurking in the background. Yeah, or. He's in prison and he's... Oh, yeah, the, fla- the he, prison flashback. He's given him some letters because he wants him to mail off. And even then he has to explain it over yeah, and over again. Yeah, because he has to tell Goon to post these letters to his parents so his parents never know he was in prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So we get to the club, Scott Wood Club. Which Strip looks like club. it was filmed in some kind of garage with all this kind of gold... It was a funny looking club, wasn't it? gold curtains hanging down. Yeah, I'm yeah. guessing they try to do a strip club on a budget. He, en- he enters in slow-mo too. Mm-hmm. That brilliant bass line from the band Yes, can you remember Yes? Yes. Heart Rick, of the Rick Sunshine. Was oh, that the song I was playing? Was Rick Wakeman in? Yeah. Uh, Rick Wakeman was not Yeah, Rick Wakeman was in, yes. And yeah. um, was it Chris Squire? Was somebody Squire? Sure. I only knew Rick Wakeman because he was the keyboard player. Well, there was the, bass, the bassist Squire for Yes, Vincent Gallo was actually his child's godfather. Oh, was he? Yes. Weird bloody connections. These <laughs> That, uh, this is what I'm saying about uh, Gal. He sometimes can come off in interviews as, you know, he tries to portray himself as maybe ignorant at points. Yeah, he's friends with John Frusciante from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He's friends with Yoko Ono. <laughs> he's got all these, like, art world connections who you wouldn't think, if somebody was genuinely that way, they would have. I think the best way we can describe Gallo is eclectic. Everything about the man is eclectic. Eclectic and complicated. Yes, his tastes, his friends, his abilities, he's very eclectic. What did you think about how it shot the topless women in the club? They almost looked unflattering. It did, because it's shot in a, a kind of like an upwards way and they just stood on this kind of grimy looking stage in this not very nice looking room. Do you and think it was made to look sinful? It didn't, well, it definitely didn't... Or distasteful. It didn't feel like it was supposed to be titillating. It was not glamorising, because you know you see these sometimes these big-budgeted films and it's like, you know, the life of the party, they're supposed mm-hmm. to look glamorous, etc. And this looked very... Or unless it was a comment on the the mundanity of Buffalo, the city itself, since he hates it so much. It could have been, because maybe like it's a comment, maybe these are strip clubs he's been to and this is just what he thought do you think, of them. Uh, do you think Gal's a strip club guy? I can't see that. Well, maybe maybe at some point in his youth. Maybe he went to one once and hated it, and this is just what he's making from memory. I know he danced go-go in a gay club when he was young. Well, you told me he danced hip-hop. He danced hip-hop. I never guessed that. Go-go. Yeah. And the, uh, yeah. Like how Scott Wood sat there at one table, and it's just, he's pictured as a very kind of lecherous guy he's like sat there with women around him he's got his he's got no t-shirt on he looks pretty out of shape he's I guess, out of shape yeah i guess he's an ex-footballer now he is ex he, he looks middle-aged now yeah, i'd he does, say yeah. he's kicking 50 at least but he's making so much money from this thing business i'm guessing well i assume he's surrounded by the topless women and yeah looking almost like a sleaze ball. yeah and he goes over with the little gun he's got he goes over to kill scott wood well he asks he asks the barman because um, you can see he shouts Scott Wood yeah. to the barmaid and then she points him over to the table where he's sitting. And he goes over to Scott Wood and he pulls that gun out. Yeah. And he shoots him in the head. Now, I mentioned earlier weird freeze frame. What did you think of the freeze frame when both of them, because he shoots... He shoots Scott Wood and he shoots himself and Gallows has like a contorted freeze frame yeah, face. It's, it's, like his, it's, like his, it's like his jaw's gone to one side. That's a very strange shot. Again, it's one of those bits like the shooting of the dinner table scene at the parents yeah. house it doesn't look like anything else in the film it looked very peculiar and it left me wondering how did they do that because it freezes but the camera still pans around the camera them. pans around yeah it's almost like almost like a parody kind of shot it's really strange and then i thought oh is that it but it goes into almost not a fantasy sequence but it goes to his parents at his grave yeah what i like is even in his own imagination his own fantasy his parents could not give a toss that he's dead well, they, well the mother's still 
fucking listening to American football on the radio. Yeah, because like, let's go. She's like, she wants to go. It's like, I'm freezing here. Let's go and watch the game. Well, he, no, he wants to leave the dad because he's got hunger pains. Well, it's a, again, that's it. His emotional state is hungry. Her emotional state is wants to watch football. That's it. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> Screw that. I, I prefer Billy over them. Oh, well, well, we'll see. Well, um, but uh, but that turns out it's just it was just a fantasy, basically. It was a fantasy. It was just created up and concocted in his own head. Because he did, but he did walk up to Scott, and I think Scott would actually offers him a Well, he just holds a drink out, mm-hmm. and Gallo just walks off. Mm. He walks out the club, he throws the pistol away, uh-huh. he phones little uh, goon again. To be only kind of half nice to him because he suddenly turns around and says, <laughs> "No, you can't have my locker." And it says at one point, "If was it, if you come near my locker, so I'm, I'm going to karate chop you in the head." So I'm like, "Oh, that's nice of but you." It, but it was it's a it's a tame uh, thing yeah. for him. He's kind of smiling. He's doing it half heartedly. Yeah, this like, is this seems he's got more of a jovial. Yeah, mind, like, do you think guy. do you think Goon is going to interpret it that way? I you, have no idea because you, you you can't really be sure with Goon because we don't know what's up with him. It just seems like he's kind of mentally slow. Yeah, I would. Mm, yeah, is he on maybe on the autism spectrum? I think it could, something along those. It could lines. be something like that. Because it's yeah. more than just being a bit yeah. dim. Yeah, because he tells Goon, he says, "I've got a girl, and she's in love with me." And this is a different aspect of Billy that we've not saw. He's optimistic now. He's jovial. He's threw the gun away. He's took his possessions back off Goon. Mm-hmm. He's a, says he's got the woman who who loves him now, mm-hmm. and he says Scott seems like Scott Wood seems actually like a nice guy, a regular guy. Because he offered him a drink and he didn't shoot him. And then he says, what am I thinking of? He kicked good that season. Mm-hmm. He did. <laughs> Just accept that one that, you know, would have would have won him some money. <laughs> and then he goes into a bakery. It's a, ba- it's a bakery, isn't it? A bakery, it? Yeah. I'd say. And he's got this optimistic, jovial disposition still. He orders a large hot chocolate and a heart cookie. And he even buys a cookie for this because he says to this guy, do you have a girlfriend? And he says, yeah. And he even buys this guy a cookie for him. And what did you think when he was ordering all this stuff and he's going, easy, easy. And he's like, he turns into like this proper New Yorker sounding guy. He's like, he's totally flipped over. Yeah. It's it's just gone crazy. And then he gets the cookies and then, did you like dash out the store? No, it ends. Does he even hand the guy the cookie? No, he said he tells the guy to get the cookie when he leaves. Oh, when he leaves, yeah. But it ends on this great shot. It pushes into some a flowers on the flowers, counter. Flowers, yeah. And it does this double exposure. You know what double exposure is, yeah? Mm-hmm, yeah. When two images are laid over each, over other. each other. So you have the flowers, and then you get this shot coming in of Billy and Layla hugging in bed asleep. Mm-hmm. And it kind of blends in, and then it fully goes into the shot of Billy and Layla, and it mm-hmm. comes up the end. Yeah, it just stops. Which was a great. I, I like. I really liked that ending. It did feel kind of random. I thought we'd like we'd get him going back to the hotel, but yeah, it just stops. I'm like, oh, okay then. It seemed like kind of an abrupt stop, actually. What did you think of the characterization? Because you had some issues prior to this, I just, well, and I, I would like to hear them. Well, discussing it, I can kind of see more like where Billy was coming from, but for a lot of it, it was. Just that I found Billy just hard to like a lot of the time. Yeah. It seemed like he had these, like he would just kind of flip back and forth. And Do you not think that was intentional, though? Uh, sort of, yeah, but I still just... Because for me, this seemed like the kind of person I would not want to be around at all. So I guess that's why I had a hard time buying it. Because maybe if we'd seen some stuff earlier with yeah. him, but because it's we're just introduced to this guy and it's like he's just almost immediately being terrible. It seems to be this kind of gallo thing, because Brown Bunny was like this, where... We'll have kind of an unlikable or uninteresting character for a long time. Yeah. And then suddenly we'll get the sad story at the end. And it's like we're just supposed to do kind of a 180 opinion on him. But there is some progress. You did like this better than uh, Brown Bunny, didn't you? I did you? like this a lot, Brown Bunny, because, well, for this one, I felt like more stuff happened. Like for me, Brown Bunny was a very empty film. Was it too experimental? It Brown was Bunny? too. I, for a lot of time, I remember describing it at the time, as I said, 
if you want to recreate this film, get a van, strap a camcorder <laughs> to it, just drive around in the desert, and then edit out anything interesting. That's what I said at the time. So yeah, I definitely prefer it to Brown Bunny. Interestingly, you know, we were talking about these themes and that, and I've got a quote from Vincent Gallo here. He says, In Buffalo 66, the idea of this extremely misguided victim on about Billy here, who saw himself as a victim in the most unreasonable, unrealistic ways, that his life transforms the minute he takes responsibility for his own life, is a direct political statement. Of course, Gala likes to go in political. A very uncomfortable one for many people because socialists feel quite opposed to that. Mm-hmm. So he's seeing it as Billy is this kind of down and out guy who, because he's not took responsibility for his own decisions, he's put everything on Scott Wood m- missing that kick, which has got nothing to do with Vincent Gallo, but no. he's pinned his misfortunes on his parents. He's pinned his misfortunes on Scott Wood missing that kick. And if only these things were different, that life would somehow be majestically better. Mm-hmm. But then he goes through this character arc, and this is what I was saying about character arc, I'm not sure if you noticed or thought of. We see towards the end, he starts to take more responsibility he decides to not shoot Scott Wood, obviously. He mm-hmm. makes that decision. That was an important decision, yeah. That was an important decision. He decides to embrace the affections of Layla. He's mm-hmm. been more proactive in his choices rather than reacting against things that have happened to him. Mm-hmm. And the, it kind of goes into this cyclical nature of now he's got things. Mm-hmm. Now he's transformed. Mm-hmm. Now his disposition is better. And we think, where is he going to go from here? Is it going to be a li- is it going to be a life for these? Well, two? you never know. Eh? Like, what when, do you? Well, when they tell the story to the kids in you know in the kids in twenty. So, oh. so how did you and Mummy meet? Oh uh, well, well, kids. <laughs> I got out of prison. I needed a pee. Kidnapped her. Took her home. Apparently, I was in the CIA. <laughs> so, yeah. I was going to kill this man, but I didn't. I was going to kill myself as well. I had a. In my words, an ugly retard is a friend. <laughs> I was going to give him a locker. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I took my locker back. So, mm-hmm. well, that's how we met. You can say it was meant to be. It was meant to be. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I do see. I felt like I say more of a character arc in this one than I did in yeah. uh, than I did in Brown Bunny. Did you feel there was a big ego with Gallo in this one? Well, do you, do you think he was trying to impress? For for me, it's the thing where I've seen this in other films where the lead star is also the director and they give themselves a lot more exposure. Do you ever see Appaloosa? It's the Western. It's got Ed Harris. And yeah, I felt the same thing because Ed Harris is also the director Mm -hmm. and he gives himself so much screen time in the film, so much of just the camera being on him when not much is happening. I felt like, because someone actually said, one critic described the film as a love song to director star Vincent Gallo by screenwriter Vincent Gallo orchestrated, coincidentally, to music by Vincent Gallo. Well, do you think it was just a stroke of the ego yet? I think there were elements of that there. I'm not saying it entirely was. No. I'd say Brown, Brown Bunny felt more like an ego trip than this one mm. did, I think. I think this was more. there was more substance but to it. It could film. just be an aesthetical taste because. Mm. Did you ever see Tetro with Vincent Gallo, the Francis Coppola? No, no, Francis Coppola. No, that I, that I was a brilliant, underrated film. Mm. I think it was on the extras I was watching on the DVD once. And out of all the films Francis Ford Coppola had done, he'd done Apocalypse Now, The Godfather. The Godfather. Vincent Gallo's favourite couple of film is The Rain People, which is this very dry, very slow story of a wife, basically. Mm-hmm. That's the thing you forget. In a car. That's the thing is people think of Coppola, think of Apocalypse Now and Godfather, and they forget that he did some kind of, was he not too, was it Captain EO or something? Ooh, he did know. some fairly random films throughout his career. Jack as well. That one with Robin Williams? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But was that when he was falling on hard times, maybe? Probably, yeah, it was, yeah. But that's the thing with Gallo is... 
I feel like his attitude and his interviews and stuff, they overshadow a lot of his work. But I think he can do great things. I think he can do great things on screen. I've not heard any of his music or anything. That's, it's good. Mm, it's good. He's played at the Fuji Rock Festival in Japan. Is he? It's very contemplative, very slow, mm. very meditative. Yeah, like I say, meditative is a way I would yeah. describe him as well. Well, especially Brown Bunny. Especially Brown Bunny, yeah. Very, very meditative. Do but... you think we get another film from Vincent Gallo? A, 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 a released film? I, Not a film made than hate. I don't know because I don't think so. Because when he did Shut In, that was his first film for almost ten years. It's like no, but he, I mean a director. A director by, again. Wrote by. Maybe he lost interest. He could be working on something now. You never know. But you mentioned earlier. You've got to remember he's sixty now as well. Again, is he is he sixty now? now? He's sixty. Oh, he's sixty yeah. now. But you said he like made a film and he wasn't going to release it because he almost promises written in water. Yeah. Again, so maybe he's made a film, but he doesn't feel it's ready for public consumption. That seems a lot of effort. It does seem a lot of effort. <laughs> Go on all that one if you don't want anyone to see your film. So, so what did your opinion change of it? Because I know after directly you watched it, you still weren't sold. So no. what's your opinion now we've discussed? Is there any difference of opinion or is it much the same? Well, that's one reason I enjoy doing yeah, these... these podcasts so much is because we you, we will you know pass comments back and forth and you'll say something about his char- the character or movie or the story and I'll think I never thought of that before and it does change maybe it doesn't totally change your no. opinion but it does kind of change your perception so yeah I'd say I'm more sympathetic to it now knowing the kind of backstory you gave and stuff yeah. like that and the little nuances you noticed that I didn't so yeah I'd say I'd soften my view on it than when I watched it the first time would you recommend I'd say with reservations, like you're with Threads, I'd still recommend with reservations. I love the aesthetic of this yeah, film. The aesthetic it, is great. It looks good. It's It looks like no no film I've ever seen before. I love that independent spirit of these kind of films. Mm-hmm. They're not tied down to yeah. pushing a message or an agenda. It's just telling a very human story. So yeah, I'd say I'd recommend it with some reservations. I'd definitely recommend as well. As I said earlier in this podcast this was almost a transformative film for me seeing it an impressionable age middle teens and it really did going forward leave an impression on me what an aesthetical and a sense that film could be something else Mm -hmm. and it still stays with me that when i watch it again because we've obviously rewatched it again for this podcast and it still has the same impact on me. See, that's why it's for you. This is not just a great film. Yeah. This is an important it's film. It's a meaningful this film. This is an yeah. essential film. Exactly. This is a film which is, in a sense, integral to your taste in film. So I'd recommend with reservations, you would recommend, recommend, yes. 100%. 100%. You've been listening to episode 11 of In Film We Trust. Once again, I'm Wayne. I'm Liam. Join us next week where we'll discuss, dissect, and deep dive all things film from the obscure to the mainstream. <laughs> <laughs>